welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. We're very rich today in all that's already happened amongst us here. Um, I'd like to share a little with you this morning, and the title is The Unchanging Power of the Cross. The Unchanging Power of the Cross. And I just want to preface it with one or two uh, Old Testament scriptures. One is in Job 26. This is a wonderful chapter of a description of the power of God. And just I'm picking up one verse there in verse 10, talking about him. And he says, he drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters. Amazing. A statement indicating the curvature of the earth. Bear in mind that this was written probably in around 1520 BC and therefore around 3,000 years before Columbus's discovery of America, which confirmed Galileo's earlier assertion that the world was not flat, but a sphere. Most thought it was flat in those days, including religious people. Actually, I read that, that Augustine and Thomas Aquinas actually chose to believe Job and the Bible, they chose to believe Isaiah 40 when he says, he who sits above the circle of the earth uh, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. How did Isaiah know this? That was like 800 years after Job. Um, uh, uh, amazing. And, and I was pondering at this at the beginning of the year and I felt the Holy Spirit said, read the chapter again. And I read chapter 40 and it's, behold, behold, behold. And I realized he probably came into this, these revelations, incredible things about the, the, the forming of the earth and, and, and knowledge and science uh, by beholding God. And, and, and I, I, I behold your God today. Uh, I, I've been beholding him as our... Um, our brothers have shared as our sisters have sung. It's an invitation. It's not an invitation to a passing uh, glance, but to a study. It's a long-term mission. Every year that comes, it's a, it's a long-term mission of mine to get to know the greatness and the character of God. And as you do, as you set your heart to do this, it may at first be a short time. Uh, we leave busy lives, but uh, uh, things come into view this came into view. And I also like Isaiah 40 when he goes on and says, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in? Mm, stretching out the heavens. I looked that word up, nata in the Hebrew, to extend something outward to reach a goal. And it's in one of about six or seven places in the scripture where God is described as doing this, stretching out the Heavens, and about a hundred years ago, to this year, it was in the 1920s, a number of scientists put forth a radical new idea 
which was compatible with Albert Einstein's theory of relativity, which proved, and they thought they were the first to discover it, that the universe was expanding. And it's true, it is. And Isaiah, apparently, he discovered this 2,650 years earlier. Now, why am I saying all this? I'm just saying, as, as we read, uh, uh, um, as we read, as we sit, as we, uh, as we focus on him, we behold things. Um, because we're going to behold something this morning that I, I've been a believer for over 50 years, and I still feel, as it says in Job, uh, I, I, I'm still wandering around the edges of his way as regards this, but I've actually come into the benefit of it without understanding it fully. And just to cap it off, what Paul says, oh, the profundity, oh, the extent, oh, the depth of the richness, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways, which cannot be fully understood yet. Okay. Psalm 36 says his judgments are great and deep. Have you ever thought how strange it is that when it comes to the things of God, uh, when it concerns his divine methods and purposes, and sometimes his yet fully unexplainable ways, it seems that us humans as a race we demand complete explanations for every detail before we're prepared to consider accepting his ways. And unless you explain it fully to me, I'm not going to embrace it. And yet so many other experiences in life, decisions in life, we just accept things on trust. I mean, for example, on Tuesday last week, I was boarding a plane in Frankfurt, Germany to come home and just went in. It was an evening flight. Everyone was coming in. And I said, you know, <laughs> who boards a plane and insists before we fly, I must have full understanding of the intricacies of the law of aerodynamics. I need to know every aspect of the pilot's qualification and competence, and I'm not flying until I know this. No, we don't. You know, everyone's coming on board just assuming. And we submit without thinking to the laws of aerodynamics and the proven ability of the plane, and we proceed in our way. The same if you, if you go through... A medical procedure. You're so thankful to get an appointment nowadays. You're so thankful to meet someone, a consultant with greater knowledge than you, who probably will be able to fix the problem. We don't go in and say, hang on a minute. Before you talk to me, I want to know all about you. Uh, 15, 20 years of your training. Where did you go? What do you do? Uh, who are you? We don't. You know, we, we're, we're relieved and trust to find someone. Yet there are so many things around us that we just rely on, we trust and we're prepared to accept even though we haven't much knowledge about them. But when it comes to God, the creator of the universe, when it concerns the validity of his word, his plans, his ways, his purpose, his methods, so many people I speak to uh, have a cynical, mocking attitude and they kind of say, I must have a full explanation that satisfies my mind completely before I could ever submit myself to that. Well, maybe they and we at times need to hearken to what Jehovah said elsewhere in Job. He said, where were you 
when I laid the foundations of the earth. Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. This is Job 38. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? And who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels sang for joy, where were you? You know, arguably, the greatest event to ever occur in human history falls into this category. An event conceived and planned and and, 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 and covenanted by the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. It says in Revelation 13, 8, referring to the book of life, it says, the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. We're talking about something. We're touching the edges of something. We already have. We've sung about it. We've, we've, we've been encouraged in the communion about it this morning. We're touching something most profound, most wonderful this morning. Something that came into into effect before the foundation of the earth. I think the probable meaning here is not that he was actually put to death from the foundations of the earth, but that the intention, the covenant to give the son as a sacrifice was formed then, and that it was so certain to happen that it might be spoken of as if it had occurred. Hallelujah. Thank you for the cross. Of course, by using the expression of the cross, I'm not referring to the method of barbaric execution that the Roman Empire devised to keep their their vast slave population in check, which in many ways it did. (laughs) But I use the term to, to refer to the one who hung on the cross. And by so doing, he opened up what we've been singing about, what we've been encouraging, the way of redemption, salvation, spiritual life, and entrance into really another world, isn't it? We've two, we've one foot in one world, this world, and another foot in another world. And that other world gets in closer all the time. Um, Rightly, Paul declared this. He said, for the message of the cross, the preaching, the topic, the reasoning, the communication of the cross is foolishness. It's absurd to those who are perishing. You look at that word in the Greek, perishing means losing. They're losers. It's not that we say that to someone as they, as they mock this whole thing of Easter. Oh, Easter. Easter's Easter to do with bunnies and egg hunts and everything else. I said, no, it's, oh, oh, they're losers. You loser. Of course, we don't say that. Perishing. But to us who are being saved, please note the tense. This was written 30 years after it actually happened. Who are being saved. It is the power, the dunamis, the miraculous ability of force and strength of, of God. It's no wonder I felt the way I felt down there when we broke bread. When Andy sang that song. I felt so. The message of the cross is the truth about what happened on the cross of Calvary. What happened on the cross of Calvary? And also when I say the cross, it's, 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 it's like cross, resurrection, ascension, glorification. It's, it's, it's I dare say, package. It's not, it, it was, that was that, but it all sprung from that moment on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become right. We could become the righteousness of Christ in him. All the guilt, all the shame, all our hidden things, 
can become right as a result of what he did. He didn't just pay the cost for every sin in Calvary. He broke the power and the effect of it in our lives. And of all whosoever will come and receive. The message of the cross is more, of a, more than a story. It is the power of God unto salvation continuously. You know, just the same as it, it was conceived back and before the foundation. It was continuing. First prophecy, Genesis 3, was about the cross. Picture of Abraham and his son about the cross all the way through. And then it happened. And now we're on this side of it. We're on the resurrection side of death because of the cross. It's, it's, it's powerful. In other words, those who believe and receive and embrace and open up to, even if you don't understand it fully, who does? Even if you've been a bit, oh, well, I'll bypass that. I don't kind of get that idea. Well, get it. Behold it. It'll change your life. If we embrace the revelation of what he did on the cross, we also receive the anointed impartation that's contained in that message. The power of believing something. The power of remembering something. Of this ordinance of, I like the way our brother said, it symbolizes, it symbolizes, it does, it symbolizes this wonderful event. Now Oswald Chambers, the great British missionary, after reading 1 Peter 2, he said, he himself bore our sins on his body on the tree. He wrote a short but compelling commentary entitled The Collision of God and Sin. I'm not sure how popular that title would be in a lot of churches. But anyway, there it is, The Collision of God and Sin. But this is a short excerpt of what he said. The cross of Christ is the revealed truth of God's judgment on sin. Never associate the idea of martyrdom with the cross of Christ. It was the supreme triumph. It shook the very foundations of hell. There is nothing in time or eternity more absolutely certain or irrefutable than, that, than what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. He made it possible for the entire human race, if they so wished, to be brought back into the right standing relationship with God. Paul's conclusion to the, the believers in Galatia, he said, God forbid that if I should glory or rejoice or boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And so I'm going to make a big statement here. The crucifixion of Jesus is the unique, incomparable, central point of all mankind, for all mankind in all of history. This universal event, I'm declaring it to more than human beings here today. We're declaring this to powers and principalities. From the moment our brother came up, I said he's declaring this out to powers. Things that have hovered over your lives, memories, Hallelujah. traumas, abuse, violence. The cross of Christ speaks to us today. It's not only radically changed the world, but it's designed to change us individuals. So a few things about the cross. Oh, good. <laughs> it's, un it's an unchanging reminder of God's eternal intentionality and invitation to the human race. God came in human form to redeem mankind. You know, people say, oh, oh Jesus showed us he came to show us how to live or how to uh, 
uh, uh, uh, no, he, he basically came to redeem us. And this is how he did it, folks. This was his method. And so Paul wrote again to the believers in Corinth, when I come to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, but I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, he's saying, I want you, I want to declare to you what actually happened, how it happened, how this occurs. You know, if you think of Paul, he, he the equivalent of what we consider um, a double a doctorate in philosophy and in theology. Probably the most prolific theologian that, that there's ever been. Few had a deeper revelation of the nature of God, of his salvation, of grace. He'd experienced some of the deepest revelations and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Miracles, visions, healings, visitation. He'd even been transported in the Spirit to the third heaven. And yet he's declaring here in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, my message, my ministry, my mind, my heart, my soul, my passion, my priority, my conviction, my preaching will be fixed on the determination that I would communicate and impart among you nothing else but the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ crucified. It must be important. And yet he warned and he prophesied that there would be oppositions, contentions, there would be warfare surrounding the message of the cross down through the centuries. And as early as 66 AD, he wrote, from any walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that there are enemies of the cross of Christ. This still happens today, both within the church and outside the church. Oppositions, resistance to the message of the cross. And you know, in a funny sort of way, over the years, whenever I hear someone is going to preach about the cross, somewhere in the back of my mind, which it isn't there anymore, thankfully, it's just, oh, 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 the cross. Um, can't really understand that. I'll maybe think about planning the week ahead or something. It's amazing. But the minute that they start to sing, thank you for the cross this morning, something lifted off me, and I, I just said, this, you're wonderful. I was thankful because I prepared this, right? But, but there's something about this. It remains immutable, intact. It can't be changed or moved. It's incomparable. It's irre- irreversible. It's indestructible. It's invincible. Over 2,000 years, every imaginable power, principality, they've done everything in their means to try and silence, to stop the cross, to quench it, to make it sound foolish to put it out, make it irrelevant, make it disappear. Even in the first church in Acts, there existed. If you think, that time, three mighty powers, all concerting together to ultimately, fundamentally try to nullify the message of the cross. So you had the religious empire of the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees. They had power of life and death over people, the, the, the philosophical empire, the Greeks, with all their authority, their superiority in knowledge and education. How strong even today, there's philosophies coming in that appear so strong and convincing, and they, they wouldn't have anything to do with the cross of Christ. And then, of course, you had the military, governmental, murderous, tyrannical power of Rome. Um, historians, historians write about 10 great waves of persecution, 
against those believing in the cross of Christ, against those, the church of God. It started probably around Acts chapter 4, AD 67, N- narrow. You know, sometimes we have to get a, a bit of a grasp of history. What's, what's been happening? And, and it, it, these, these, these 10 great waves of persecution, they continued after about 303 AD um, under that emperor. And they've chronicled unspeakable extremities and cruelties and depraved behavior and massacres against those who declared trust in Jesus Christ and what he had done on the cross. And then even in the Middle Ages, you've got various forces and empires coming against this message. The Inquisition, I was reading, I don't know if you ever heard that book, Haley's Handbook of the Bible. It's, it's, it's an old book, but I took down, it's, it, he, he traces history and, uh, and relates the church and the gospel to it. And he said during those hundred odd years of the Inquisition, he says, he said, without doubt, he said, and he had some facts and figures, at least a million born again Christian people were executed by the Inquisition. And think today of modern history, communism, Marxism, Maoism, fascism, radical Islam, extreme secularism, antichrist, wokeism, all trying to cancel, eradicate those who preach and uphold the cross of Christ. And yet here we are today, we're singing about it, we're remembering it, we're declaring it, that the word of God is not bound. Nothing and no one will stop and quench the message of the cross. Let's start to behold it more. <laughs> um, Nero wrote, just to finish this bit, in AD 66, the Emperor Nero, he said, the name of this Jesus, this so-called Messiah, will be erased, will be made unknown, will be banished from history in the next decade of my reign. don't know if you've ever been to Rome, if you... Go to Rome, it's a fantastic place. Every corner, there's like some, a, a bit of rock that's sort of 3,000 years old. There's an inscription. If you're, even if you're not interested in history, I am, there are these things there. And then you come to the Colosseum. And if you've seen the gladiator, there it is, Colosseum. And it's, 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 it's amazing. It's, okay, it's partly in ruin, but it's partly intact. And if you find your way to the former imperial box where the emperors used to sit, where Nero used to sit and he'd give the thumbs down to maybe thousands of our forefathers in Christ who perished there, men, women, children, torn apart by beasts and the crowd and Nero and the others were gone in the imperial box. And there is a four meter high metal cross right there in that place. The cross of Christ will not be stopped. I know it's only an emblem, but hallelujah. Where are you now, Nero? Of course, the cross is infinitely more than a four-foot-high metal symbol. It's more than jewelry worn on the neck or of a pop star or an athlete. It's more than a tattoo or a good-look charm. It's more than a cultural symbol, historical marker or a builder or a signpost indicating a religious meeting. Mind you, it's better to have a cross on a building than uh, uh, some, uh, some of those other things. But the cross has been speaking for 2,000 years and continues to speak to us today. It's foundational. It shapes our lives, our walk in faith. It brings strength, conviction, confidence, hope, joy, peace, priority, foundation. But instruction and information about the cross, though valuable, has to become illumination. 
Things taught have to be caught. And we catch these things by beholding. Say, Lord, I, I, I need to, to grasp something of the significance of this in my own life. And the Spirit gladly teaches us all things. The religious rituals about the cross must become renewed revelation. You know, have you found sometimes like supernatural strength and peace and power and fullness of his spirit? It can ebb at times, drain from our lives. Worry comes in, fear comes in. And we don't feel close to him anymore. Uh, 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 but, but we come back again, we find relief again as we just simply bow down and before the Father and asking him, acknowledging him to him, Lord, I need a fresh revelation of the cross. It's wonderful when you read, I I will be reading a few verses from Ephesians just in the last uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes or so. But but it's, it's, Paul prayed, in Ephesians, Holy Spirit kept the prayer alive for us. He prayed, chapter 3, 14, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's what we need from time to time, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being. And that's what the revelation of the cross does in our lives. The days we are living in, we're going to need this supernatural renewing with strength. The second thing I want to say is the cross is unchanging in its power to redeem and to bring and renew resurrection life to our lives. The cross is the only place where the dead come back to life. The, the gospel is not about God taking bad people and making them better or good or improving their lives. He'll do that, but that's not what it's about. The, the gospel is about the work of the cross which can take someone who is dead spiritually and make them alive. So the things that we had no interest in, the things that didn't make sense to suddenly preoccupy us and what we wake up every morning to, behold. Sin doesn't just make us bad, it makes us dead. When I was away with my son in Germany, he took me away for a few days uh, on his business, and I went and enjoyed myself. Uh, it was a break. But I realized I met some really nice people. I witnessed to one or two, and they were very nice and civilized. But I realized they're spiritually they're dead as a dodo. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's nice for you. I said, it can be nice for you. Oh, no, no. Very polite, very nice. Enjoy their company. Ephesians 2 tells us that, 1 and 3. I won't read it all out, but that describes me as you, for as you, for as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom goes on, the spirit now at work, and those who just been, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desire and thoughts, and like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And then that famous verse in verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, what made us alive in Christ. And he could only do that. The disciples came alive on the day of Pentecost, truly alive. They could only do that because of the cross that made the way 
for the Father to pour out the Holy Spirit. Yes. Nothing else can change our spiritual condition before for God. We're dead otherwise. And you may be here even online. Don't feel condemned, but if you feel, that's never happened to me. I'm, is it a bit of a Waco call? It probably is. A Waco sleeper arise from the dead. And Christ would give you life. And this is how he does it. This was the means that was made. This was the door that was opened before the foundation of the earth. This was the plan. It wasn't to make people good and establish a great religion that two billion people follow. And, uh, no, it, it, was, it, was to, it was to change us individually. And this is the part that we'll do. Nothing else can change our spiritual condition. No religious words, good deeds, penance, good, content, good intentions, resolutions, religious or mystical pursuits. N- nothing could reconcile me to God. Only the cross of Jesus Christ can take the dead and make us alive. Now, if you feel a bit dried up today, withered in your life, hope can wither, faith can die, you can have a certain sense of joy in your life and then tragedy can strike. Something can happen to you and you lose all confidence in the future and capacity to believe goes, to even want to go to church goes. Capacity to forgive, to give, all dies. But by his atonement on the cross, where the innocent died for the guilty. And in his limitless and unconditional love, God provides himself a sacrifice and he opens access to his spirit by which he brings to life that which is spiritually dead. If you need that in your life, even as I'm speaking, don't wait for any music at the end. Just say, God, I want this. I turn. Whatever I... uh, I even throw out all that old religious understanding of this symbol unto you. Third thing, the cross is unchanging in its power to release us. The cross is unchanging in its power to release us from guilt and shame. One of my sons is quite high up in, 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 in um, psychiatry and, 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 and he, he, um, he, he's a counselor to many people. Occasionally he's allowed to pray for them. And he said, Dad, one of the craziest things, there's addiction, and then he said, a deep-rooted shame in the psyche of human beings. And the enemy of our soul is a liar. He's an accuser, an expert in accusation to blind us, even knowing about the cross, singing about it, hearing it, witnessing about it, but we can still carry the bags of rocks and guilt and shame. Many years ago, my wife and I, we moved out of Dublin, went to another counting nearby, met in a house, then a hotel, then we bought a little building. Folk began to come. It wasn't easy, but folk began to come. And one day we were there, and this little lady came in late and left early. I said to Ruth, who is she? I don't know, she left. The next Sunday, in late, but left early. Third Sunday, in late, left early, and Ruth went after her. And she said, who are you? I'm Ruth. Oh, she said, you don't want to know me. And Ruth said, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. If you knew what I did, I broke the sixth commandment. I think it's the sixth, isn't it? <laughs> and she said, I do. No, no. Meet me for coffee. No. And then, coincidentally, they met in the swimming pool. There was Ruth. Oh, it's you. Yeah, I do. you don't want to know me. Yeah, yes, I do. And anyway, they connected. And this dear woman, she's, she just blurted out to the two of us one day. She said, I murdered my husband. I knifed him on the stairs of our council house. 
And I said, well, what happened to you? She said, the judge reprieved me. Everyone in the town knew what an abusive man he was. And the judge, he, he told me not to do it again. No, he told me, I cannot sentence you for that. Now, whether it was manslaughter or not. But she never went to prison. She, she never got convicted. But she had this continuous guilt and shame. And the Lord was drawing her. She came to our meetings. She, she responded. She bought a Bible. She come to the prayer meeting. She'd pray. But she always had this bowed look of shame in her life. And then one day we had a, uh, a visitor over from England, a man who, who ministered the word in our church. And we all were back in our place for lunch. And I saw the two of them talking. And I just felt we exited the room. And about 20 minutes later, she came out smiling. I said, how are you? She says, it's gone. I said, what's gone? She said, the guilt she said, she said, he did it on the cross for me. She had a revelation. If you like a revelation of Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, when he says, you who are dead in your trespasses, he made a light together with him, have him forgiven you all your trespasses. You see, when you look at the cross with the eyes of understanding being spiritually opened, you actually see a lot more than the Messiah between two thieves. You see the bruised head of Christ, heel of Christ, crushing the head of the accusing serpent. That's the first prophecy about the cross in Genesis 3. And this little lady, she went on to be with the Lord she, the, the latter part of her life, I tell you, was a lot better than the former part. She came into the freedom of that. Yes, the cross, uh, uh, the cross certainly for her was unchanging in part to release her from guilt and shame. It may be some other form. It's taken over your life and it's always there. And even people bring it up, always hitting you over the head with it. Just say, no, he did it. Fourthly, the cross is unchanging in its power to bring revelation to your heart and my heart of the only true measure of your eternal worth and value and the love that he has for you. You don't need to look anywhere else for your worth, your, your, your value, your identity. The cross says, this is how much I loved you. This is the, what extent I love you now to the point of offering my only beloved son, Jesus, for you. It can, sound, it can become cliche. Don't uh, rebuke cliche. May be fresh to us. And so Ephesians says, 3.17, Christ may dwell in your hearts, blah, 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 that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height of the love of Christ. And when that happens to you, I tell you all these other things we carry around. Oh, I have to make a name for myself. I need to, 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 to how, many, how many hits have I had? How many? Oh, it goes. It's wonderful. Freedom. And you should never measure your true value, your true worth, how much you are loved by God and everyone else by your circumstances or by your feelings, your emotions, the voices in your mind, the whisperings of the enemy's accusations. In your mind. The only measure, the only one place you look to see your worth is to the cross. And you can start off by singing, thank you for the cross. You can start off by reading the scriptures. You can start off by thanking him for it. It's amazing what beholding will do.
Finally, the cross is unchanging in its power to remind us that God's purposes will always prevail. In this broken, sick planet, there will be loss and hurt, deaths, deep wounds, but you can still be part of God's redemption story because the story is not over for any of you yet. Hallelujah. You know, maybe some used to have a notion that God has a plan for my life, and then something happened. Maybe a shock immediately or something over time progressively against everything that you thought and planned, and life has fallen into pieces. It could have been some relationship, unrequited love, a marriage that hasn't worked, children, grandchildren in a mess, a career, a tragedy, a loss, a trauma so bad and even violent and abusive to such an extent that it's filled your heart with doubt and with an endless question, is God really sovereign? You know, sometimes we look around the world and we say, is he really in control? Well, the place to look the place to go, the message to have in your spirit is the message of the cross. Turn your eyes back to it. You know, think of actually the actual moment of that time. Everything seemed out of control. It was ugly, it was violent, it was bloody, it was total mayhem. And yet, God is in complete control. All his disciples went away except one and the mother there and, and, and the and the power, the empires of, of religion, the empires of superior knowledge, all mocking. If you really are the Messiah, come down, come down and save yourself. He could have done that. But he said, no, I'm here to save the world, not myself. Jesus was not a powerless victim of the cross. He's all power. There he is, our victor, vanquishing death and hell. It is finished, he said. The last of seven statements recorded, it is finished. Everything was being completed. The plan of the Godhead from eternity was being fulfilled. And at that moment, God is in control. Not Caesar, not Herod, not Pilate. He's in control of everything and everyone when he said this. I don't accept all the evidence I say around me now, even though some circumstances come close and you wonder. You see, his voice, when he said it is finished, his voice of fulfillment hit the heavens and the veil is torn as a symbol in the temple. The veil is torn. Now man can come into the presence of God. Some of you, some of you online may be here saying, I, I, I'm not worthy to come. None of us are. But he said, all that's finished. I paid the price. I've taken it upon myself. And that voice went out. It hit the depths of hell and it crushed the enemy's head. When everything seems to be spinning out of control in your life, in your plans, they seem to fail, falling apart. Just look to him, turn again. Thank you for the cross. So we've briefly just looked at some of the edges of his way here. The unchanging reminder of God's eternal intentionality and his invitation to the human race. The cross of the unchanging part to redeem and bring resurrection life to our lives today and to release us from the burden of guilt and shame and lies 
to bring revelation to your heart of the true measure of your worth, of my worth, and the full dimension of his love for us. And it's unchanging in its power to remind us that God's purpose will always prevail. I think Andy and whoever else will come, we're going to sing that song again. But just before I finish, there's one other, and I'm not, I don't have time to elaborate, but the cross is unchanging in power. And this just came late to me. To rewrite your story. Behold, I make all things new. If any man or woman is in Christ, he is, she is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, new, all things are become new. It's a miraculous, supernatural place of redemption and power where one story ends and another began. And the story of us as victims ends and he writes a new story for us as victors. He bears the victor's crown. You know, often we can sit and observe from within our prison. And all the time the door is open. The cross has made the way. And we can walk into something we can walk, in fact, out of something and into freedom today. The wonder-working God can surpass all our expectations. So look at us all here. Who would have been here 10 years ago? Who would have been here 20 years ago? Who would have been here 50 years ago? You all have a story. And it's the story of redemption. It's the story that began in the heart of God before the foundation of the earth. And actually, I don't know how he did it. He knew us. He's outside time. He knows everything. He's spirit. He's everywhere. And he knew I'd have him. I'd have her. She was a bit more difficult, but I have her. And us. oh, yeah, imagine that. He's affected a lot of people. So if you want more of him, I'm not going to make a big thing. But as we sing this today, if you even want a, a greater appetite to behold him, you know, this is his revealed word. Be content with hearing him from this word. And he may speak to you. He will witness to you in your spirit, but he may speak to you. But be content with this word. There's 66 books. He'll speak to you tomorrow. Because of this, he opened a way for his word to come and be transmitted to us by the spirit. So shall we just stand and we we'll sing together? Thank you. Have you a renewed after today's meeting. Have you a renewed appreciation of them? A renewed appetite? A realization that those things that haunted you don't have to haunt you anymore? That those things that harmed you and you were not at fault, but you can find forgiveness and a degree of sometimes scars are always there, but the effect is wear wear away as we turn to him today. There'll be people up here afterwards if you just feel, can I pray. Can someone pray with me? You come up after the meeting. But to now, we just turn our eyes freshly to him and sing this. It's a, it's a well-known thank you. I love this and we've sang it a lot, but let's sing it as if it's the first time we're thanking him with renewed appreciation. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time.
God bless.